Hi, this is Brent Barber, the founding director of the Bicycle Film Festival, and this is Resonance FM. Ride on until the break of dawn, because you don't stop. Uh -uh. Welcome to The Bike Show. My name's Jack Thurston, and for the whole of the show this week, we're going to be continuing on my ride that I took over the summer from Montreal to New York City. We pick up the journey when I'm up in the Adirondack Mountains in upstate New York. just come back from what must be one of the most spectacular and in a way unexpected rides of um, of my life really it was a late afternoon a late afternoon I'm actually cooking some uh, some supper now because it's getting a little dark and um, I want to get the food on before it gets completely pitch black so I'm doing a little multitasking recording this while um, sautéing some red peppers but um, I'm in the town of or just outside the town of Wilmington and um, that's at the foot of Whiteface Mountain and there's um, a road that goes right up to the very top of it which I thought well that's an obvious um, an obvious cyclist's route a, a brilliant mountain top finish if they had anything like the Tour de France here in New York State so I thought you know, I'll go up. I'd come up earlier in the day from where I'd camped the previous night to uh, to Wilmington and uh, set up my tent and dumped all my bags and just basically uh, uh, had a siesta and um, then woke up about half past three and decided to go for a ride. I set off um, out of Wilmington and... Um, it was all going very well until I got to the uh, the entrance to the to the road that goes up the mountain, and it said it was closed. Um, not only was it closed at 4 p.m. for motor traffic, but it was closed all the time for people on bikes. Basically, this is a road which should be one of the most beautiful classic cycling roads of the United States, which is permanently closed to cyclists. I gather they do have some races up there um, now and again, but that, you know, that's a special occasion. I'm talking about um, everyday people. So I kind of waited at the bottom for a little while and thought, oh my God, what am I going to do? Should I go for it? And um, I, you know, I know that they are sticklers for the law in these parts um, and they like nothing less than um, a foreigner <laughs> and a Brit at that breaking their laws so I was I was not quite uh, confident about just hopping over the fence and going for it but a couple of um, French Canadians pitched up and um, they said oh yeah just yeah, let's just go for it I don't know what this this sign is saying no cyclists you know be fine so we did we, we rode up um, and it was a brilliant ride up to the summit at about 4,600 feet, 
which I don't know is about 1500 meters or something altogether that's probably an ascent of about from Wilmington town where it started about 1300 meters maybe a little less but a pretty good ascent and the views from the top are just sublime absolutely extraordinary it's a completely clear day a few tiny fluffy clouds and it just took my breath away the the landscape here is studded with um, smaller peaks this is one of the highest peaks in the Adirondacks and bejeweled with lakes uh, which just reflected the late afternoon sun and I could have stayed up there for you know a couple of hours it was really wonderful and the ride up was um, was hard going it, it, it never really got super steep at any point but you know it was it was fairly relentless and you know getting up that vertical ascent you know however shallow the gradient is um, is never easy so you know it was definitely a workout um, and a couple of spectacular hairpins but the view at the top was just the thing and then and then the descent my lord this was the positive side of the fact that the road is closed there's nobody on the road no cyclists apart from us three no uh, vehicles so I had the road to myself and I was able to fly down taking both sides of the road if I needed it to make those big wide fast turns and I tell you I think I must have hit 85 kilometers an hour um, because that was just extraordinary and I had the suspension um, on the molten um, and had it fairly dampened down so there wasn't too much bouncing around and that that made me go even faster I think because the road was a little bit rough at parts um, and and I just flew and now here I am back at my campsite after two hours of the best riding I think I've ever had um, really really remarkable but the fact that I had to break the law to do it I think it's just it's ridiculous, utterly ridiculous. It's about half past nine at night. I'm sitting inside my tent in what shows the signs of being a thunderstorm. It's kind of an incipient thunderstorm at the moment. Heavy drops of water. Great flashes in the night sky, the occasional rumble of thunder, but that's alright, I'm camped under the trees, it's fairly sheltered, 
I've had a good supper. Black beans, mushrooms, green pepper, and some bacon with couscous. So here I am in the dark, in the tent, in the rain, listening to the thunder. quite gone nine o'clock in the morning and I've been on the road for well certainly more than two hours at a very early start this morning yesterday I uh, rode down from Placid down to Lake Champlain and then along the lake on Highway 9 which was really really unpleasant despite the fact that it's designated as a New York State cycleway. I have no idea who is in charge of these things in New York State, but they need to learn that it takes more to make a cycleway than to simply put up a few green signs with a bicycle on it. I mean, really, it was a terrible, terrible highway. Very narrow, lots of trucks lots of hills I came close to collisions one that looked like it could have been very very serious at one point anyway I then crossed over at Ticonderoga on a ferry with just me in a car and a very cheerful crew of a man and a woman 
and it was like not just going from one country to another leaving New York State and entering Vermont but entering into a different century the lands just on the east of Lake Champlain in Vermont are absolutely beautiful it's all good dairying country lots of hay being gathered in one of the very interesting things around here is that many of the town names are clearly of English origin Uh, Bridport Dorset Leicester Shrewsbury Ludlow where I'm headed for today Clarendon Sudbury and Orwell I passed through Orwell yesterday in this very beautiful part of um, western Vermont on the shores of the lake and Orwell is just a perfect little town with a main street a general store with a wooden stoop selling its own root beer and black cherry pop and the town hall and a little public library with a sign outside saying learn to play the ukulele Tuesdays at 6pm I got talking uh, to a local people and I got the usual thing about oh yeah we had to fight for these lands we had to fight against you lot the British and my stock response to this kind of question which is often raised I suppose in, in, in a nice way I guess but my stock response is well look it was a lot easier for you lot to get rid of the British monarchy we're still trying you had a 3,000 mile head start and you had the French on your side. That always gets under people's skin, telling them that the American War of Independence wouldn't have succeeded without the assistance of the French, who were taking part, not out of altruism, but on the basis that my enemy's enemy is my friend. Anyway, so much for history. And then I entered into the Lakes Country Uh, some other lakes that were a bit swamp-like and uh, found a spot to camp overnight and now I'm up entering into the foothills of the Green Mountains of Vermont and they really are green I think it's because the trees here are deciduous broad-leafed trees and I'm sitting on a bridge here by a little river and There are rivers and streams all around here, bubbling out of every little cleft in the Green Mountains, it seems. People have said that there's been a lot of rain this year, and the rivers are certainly full. And and, um, I had a dip already this morning, which was fantastic. Very soothing on the legs.
after my weekend break in the town of Ludlow, Vermont, I'm back on the road again and it's been um, not the greatest day of cycling today along the edge of the green mountains here in southern Vermont. It's been kind of raining, drizzly, misty uh, kind of weather. It's sticky. And I'm now camped a few miles south of the town of Wilmington, another familiar English town name, this time from uh, Sussex, if my memory's right. And I'm camped by a little stream and I am being besieged, it seems, by the entire mosquito population of the state of Vermont, if not the entire region of New England. It's pretty extreme. In fact, I've never known mosquitoes like this. Just to reach outside uh, the confines of my inner sanctum in the tent to, um, to get something means that I admit about four or five or maybe more of these little murderers and um, have to spend the next five or ten minutes lying in the tent as bait and then leaping up to, uh, to kill them. And uh, I'm sure I've not killed them all. And so tomorrow I'm going to wake up with quite a few bites. There do seem to be a lot of biting insects in these parts in the summer. I kind of expected that. But, um, yeah, tonight is definitely the worst it's been. I suppose I shouldn't have camped near a stream, but it's always nice to be near running water. The sound is soothing to the ears during the night, and obviously it's good to have a supply of water available to drink and cook with. But uh, I think it's time for bed now and, uh, and some sleep. Tomorrow I will continue south and I will cross over the border into Massachusetts fairly soon in the morning. And uh, that'll be my third state in, uh, in the United States on this tour. I've never been to Massachusetts, so... Uh, that's exciting. Day by day, just one step, just one step at the time. Because, woman, you have given me so much.
Well, this morning I crossed over the border from Vermont into Western Massachusetts and um, have cycled over the uh, Berkshire Hills and uh, come down a very nice welcome descent into the town of Dalton, Massachusetts, which has a very interesting claim to fame, which is that it is home to one of the oldest paper mills in the United States, and it is the paper mill that makes the paper that goes into all the banknotes of the United States. And I'm here in the museum of the um, Crane Paper Company with the uh, museum's curator, Charlie Wellspeak, who's um, been showing me around uh, this afternoon. So how did a, uh, a paper mill come to be in the town of Dalton, Massachusetts? Well, I think the prime, the, the prime reason was because it was a good source of pure spring water and the flow of the river was, was sufficient for power. And that was the main reason. And who, who was it who, uh, who founded the, the paper mill? Uh, Zenus, Zenus Crane. His, uh, he originated from uh, Milton, Mass. His father was uh, Stephen Crane. And he was involved with the two other partners in the first one of the first mills in the state, although he didn't come in until 1770. And one of the interesting exhibits, or there are many interesting exhibits here in the museum, but one of the most interesting is the first advertisement that was placed here by Zenas Crane when he arrived in town and was setting up the, uh, the paper mill. Can you tell me a little bit about that advertisement? Actually, he had put this little ad in encouraging all the local housewives in the area, women and housewives, to save their cotton and linen rags. The paper at the time was called the Pittsfield Sun, and that little ad, of course, was made on rag paper, so it's still good, and it's still here, and that was from 1800. So if it was on today's newsprint, it would be long gone. Because that's the difference between wood pulp and the cotton paper, which is what you make here, and, uh, and wood paper, which is what is in every photocopying machine or every newspaper. It, it just right. doesn't last, the, the wood paper. Yeah, there's... Uh, rag content, paper that's been around for centuries, and uh, it's still good to this day. And so what accounts for the success of Zenus's business compared to the other paper mills that were probably starting up at the same time? How come you're still here and you're so big? Quality was always, I mean, uh, a, a big important feature here. And, if, and not only that, but uh, I think that, uh, of course, landing the currency contract in 1879 had a lot to do with it too. When you think of the United States, you think of the US dollar, but it's a little known fact that the dollar didn't come about until you know the US was more than 100 years old. How come it took so long to get a currency? Well, because I, I you know they didn't I don't I can't remember exactly when they standardized US currency, but cranes has been paper has been made or used, I mean, for currencies because local banks used to make their own currency. And you can realize the problem that would entail, say like you came from South Carolina, come up here, who'd recognize your currency? And is forgery a problem for the US dollar? Oh, it's, it's amazing. You take, as soon as we configured our currency, uh, there was two different countries that hopped right on it, Syria and Iran. Of course, they deny that, but it's actually it's an act of war to print another country's currency without their permission, but they're using it to, serve, you know, to fund their terrorist activities, buy drugs, buy arms, and so-and-so. But there's a lot of it goes on. Like, 
the drug cartels, uh, Russia as a dollar, anywhere where the dollar demand is high, like North Korea, they just come up. But actually during World War II, the Germans were going to try to break Britain's economy by flooding the country with, with uh, counterfeit no, uh, uh, pound notes. But the, turn, the British turned around and did the same thing to them, <laughs> better them with, with freight marks. So it was like a moot point. But uh... For a foreigner like me coming from the UK or someone coming from the European Union or maybe just coming over the border from Canada, it seems a little odd that the United States has a banknote for a dollar, which is a relatively small amount of actual money. You won't find many developed yeah. countries that will have a, a piece of paper representing a unit of value that's that small. What would happen here to Crane if, if, if the uh, uh, US Mint decided that they were going to actually force through the, the dollar coin and get rid of the, uh, the bills? Well, they've, they've tried this little ploy for a number of years. People don't care for them. I think we're going to be hanging in there for a while with the dollar bill because people like it. They don't like the coins. It seems as though my tour has come to a rather abrupt end. Um, if I sound a little different, it's because um, I feel a little different uh, in the mouth, particularly uh, last night. I went out for a little evening spin just to stretch the legs. I'd been having a day of rest, as it were, just enjoying the forests up here on the Massachusetts and New York border. And I took a tumble on a, um, on a metal bridge. It had been raining in the afternoon and the bridge was slick and um, yeah, I just didn't see it in time to start, slow down and stop and walk over and um, went flying and um, it was quite a nasty one, I have to say. Um, a passerby woman driving a car stopped and called an ambulance and the ambulance took me off to the hospital. Um, about half an hour drive away and uh, I got some stitches in my face in my chin uh, grazing on my face I knocked one of my teeth out which uh, the dentist at the hospital has tried to push back in and cement up uh, hopefully it'll stay but uh she didn't promise anything. And um, a nastily bruised shoulder, uh, right hand, right foot, and right knee. So I guess uh, it was the right side of me that took the brunt of the metal bridge. And um, yeah, this is poor. It stopped raining. And now I am trying to pack up while there's a lull in the rain, pack up my camp and figure out how to get to New York. So yeah, this is a really sad way to end this bike tour. 
expect the unexpected. Well, I did make it to New York City and um, it was the second to last day of my ride where I had that crash. Um, so you didn't lose too much of the tour, but um, it was a shame to finish that way. Um, I'm pretty much back um, in one piece now. It took a little while um, for all the uh, bruises and cuts to heal up and uh, the teeth to be fixed, but they seem to be um, back in some sort of order. In that feature, you heard the following music, High on a Mountain Top by Loretta Lynn, It's Raining by Irma Thomas, Farther On Down the Road by Taj Mahal, and Sugar Farm by T-Model Ford. Tune into the show next week when we'll be doing our annual Christmas cycling books special. Look forward to it. Until then, goodbye.